Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 180 of We Have Cancer, and folks, you are in for a treat today. My guest is Rob Paulson. Rob is a throat cancer survivor, and he's, um, and he, uh, um, he, oh, oh, heck, I'll let him tell it. Hello, genius people. Yako Warner here. Welcome to episode 180 of the We Have Cancer show. And... Don't forget me. Pinky's here too. No. Episode 180 of the We Have Cancer Show. Point. This is Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And when I'm making a hot fudge marshmallow tuna fish and Doritos pizza, my specifically favorite episode of the We Have Cancer Show is... Say it with me. Episode 180. Hi, Kyle are here. Don't forget to finish your croissant as you listen to episode 180 of the We Have Cancer Show. Rob, welcome to the We Have Cancer podcast. As I said before I hit record, you know, I just finished your book, Voice Lessons, and I was so excited to have this opportunity to talk to you that even though I'm Jewish, I think I know what it's like for a kid on Christmas morning waiting till their parents wake up before you can run down and down to the tree to get to meet and talk to Rob Paulson. So I really appreciate this. Oh, bless your heart. Well, just because of that, I'm going to change my name to uh, Shlomo Paulstein. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I have to tell you something. Firstly, thank you so much, Lee. This is a, a real privilege to be with you. And I, I, well, uh, I, the audience needs to hear this, too. You look like a zillion bucks, my friend. Oh, and I those of you that. who continue to follow Lee, you obviously have excellent taste. But you, uh, from your, uh, your humble correspondent, uh, he does look really great and, and a, a warrior in the true sense. But I have to say that uh, one of the greatest books I received from uh, some Jewish friends of mine when I was, gosh, I don't know, 25, 26 uh, I got such a kick out of Yiddish humor and I got a book from them for my birthday by Leo Rostin and it's called uh, The Joy of Yiddish and I am telling you it is such an incredible culture as I know I'm preaching to the choir but my grandparents on my mother's side were from Macedonia from Eastern Europe and there is something to be sure about that whole sort of Eastern European, Slavic, Jewish. It just, it's really is like, like watching a, a fiddler on the roof and the way they speak about stuff. And I just, 
One of my favorite jokes I heard was um, from my friend, Corey Weinberg. He said his grandmother used to, when she was upset with somebody, she would say, I hope all your teeth should fall out but one so you could get a toothache. And I just, <laughs> isn't that great? <laughs> yep, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Rob will be performing in the Catskills. In the That's next few right. Weeks. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> one of the early things you said in your book, Rob, just really grabbed me. And it, you said the ability to make people laugh is everything to me. It's my air. And my it question is. to you is why? Excellent question. Uh, I think because like food, like water, frankly, I, if I don't get enough of it, I don't feel right. And it sounds like, yeah, okay, well, nobody does. That's true. Of course, if we don't eat, we don't drink, we start to fail. Uh, laughter to me, and I submit to probably most of the people listening, it is, is no less important to my countenance, no less important to the way I feel. And, and, and I remember that from a very early age. I, <laughs> I think the first time I really started to think about the actual physical joy of laughter was watching Ed Wynn singing, Let's, um, I, I love to laugh, you know, and I think it was a Mary Poppins. I love to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Mary Poppins, my first movie my father took me to see. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I thought, my goodness, he's correct. And at the end of every Reader's Digest, I remember, there was a, a segment of the, of the magazine that said laughter is the best medicine. And, of course, we know that's an old axiom. I've co-opted that. And I say laughter is the best medicine. The cool thing is you can't OD and the refills are free. And, you know, you and I, you're, you're, you're sweet folks, many of whom are also cancer survivors or people who are dealing with it right now or on behalf of a loved one. I, I don't know that there is anyone who would maybe argue that point. Uh, it, it really is like air. And <laughs> when I'm able to do it and see what happens when when I start talking like Yakko, or I say, hey, God, Lee, nerve. And look what happens to your handsome face. It, it has nothing to do with money, ratings, action figures. It is just a pure expression of joy. So technically, I'm giving you mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, you know, laugh suscitation. And, and it's so important in, in all of our lives. We were... You know, we just discussed Leo Rostin and Yiddish humor. From what I understand, the people, Holocaust survivors, people who, who know Holocaust survivors, all the things that have been written, they, part of the ethos of the Jewish slash Yiddish culture is finding ways to laugh at miserable situations. And so I, I don't think that's a stretch, but I apologize for the rambling question. It was such an excellent one. And so that's, that's why I say that. So here's my follow-up. Oh, good. Knowing how important, <laughs> knowing how important it is and was to you when you heard the news Ooh. and the diagnosis of throat cancer yeah. and the thought that that air might be taken from you, that ability yeah. to make people laugh, what went yeah. through your mind? Yeah, that was, well, an, an excellent analogy. It really did feel like oh my God, that I'm going to strangle if I can't, I can't do this. I was kind of prepped uh, because my 
uh, ENT said when he did a fine needle biopsy in his office, I had a lump on the left of my neck, which was the area to which the cancer had spread. And he said, I haven't done this in a while, but do you mind if I just do your bio- little biopsy here instead of sending you to the lab? I said, well, as long as you don't go too deep, I, yeah, I'm good. And so he did a couple of punches and I, I said, so what do you think? Uh, and, you know, they're professionals. And he said, I will wait to pathology. And I said, yeah, but come on. I, what do you think? I'm not, I'm 60. I'm not a 25 year old with a new baby. You know, he said, well, let's wait. But I, I, you know, and the way he did that hemmed and hawed. So when he called me, I think it was two days later and he said, how are you doing, Rob? And I said, how am I doing? He said, well, it's cancer. And, um, my wife and I literally the night before Lee, you know, we had a number of these circumstances and maybe it's happened to you, you know, in the early stages of your circumstance, but my wife and I, you know, we kind of looked at each other at the same time and I was working every day. I felt great playing golf a couple of times a week, playing hockey, skating with my buddies, all that stuff, good shape, always been an athlete. And we'd stop each other and go, I can't believe that you might have cancer. It was because there was no obvious issue. So when I got the phone call, as I said, I was a little bit prepped, so I wasn't really surprised. But, but the God's honest truth is that as a result of this ridiculously marvelous career that I'm still able to enjoy, I have had countless interactions with parents and children, either personally or on the phone, in which God, for, you know, uh, God forbid a three or four or five-year-old wants to talk to Raphael. 10-year-old wants to talk to Pinky and mom and dad are dealing with their baby who has a a glioblastoma and and things just don't look good. But it's an eight-year-old. And I had that opportunity, Lee, so many times. Uh, And I, I, I do it still all the time, not just me. We all are grateful to do it. But the first thing I thought of was, wow, Somebody right now in L.A. is getting the same phone call, only it's about their five-year-old. Only it's about their, their husband or their mother who's just, you know, 31. And I've already had a hell of a run. And, I'll, and, and I'm going to be fine. But the context of my own cancer was made uh, much more bearable because I had the incredible gift of seeing what it's really like to struggle and and with your babies or a young mother, you know? So that's what went through my, my mind immediately. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. And as always, thank you so much to Lee for providing this amazing opportunity to spread awareness for our campaign kids. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brody Nicholas and I have the honor of leading Campaign One at a Time. This month, we are sponsoring Benny, a three-year-old cancer patient from El Paso, Texas. Benny is currently battling neuroblastoma and has recently undergone tumor removal and is now preparing for two cycles of stem cell transplant. He has a love for nature, animals, and cars, and Lightning McQueen is his favorite. We want to help Benny experience a Cars Parade firsthand, which is why we're on a mission to raise $10,000 to send Benny and his family on a much-needed vacation to Hollywood Studios where he can see Lightning McQueen up close and personal. You can learn more about Benny's campaign and how you can help by visiting wehavecancershow.com.
com forward slash Benny. Thank you so much for listening and let's keep spreading good together so we can make more amazing memories possible for another brave kid like Benny. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. I want to thank my buddy Neil Galarte and his team over at Toma Gear for sponsoring this episode of the We Have Cancer Show. They have an amazing line of affordable luxury items, sunglasses for men and women, watches for men and women, and some gorgeous men's beaded bracelets. I've got a couple of the bracelets. They look spectacular. And Linda and I just received our first pairs of sunglasses, and they are incredible. Not only are they incredible, but folks, when you check out the amazing array of products, What you're going to notice is not only are they affordable, but the styles are so unique. It's just things you just don't see everywhere. I got the coolest pair of blue mirrored sunglasses that are in bamboo uh, frames that just look spectacular. Neil has been kind enough to offer a promotional discount for the listeners of the We Have Cancer podcast. To visit his site, go to wehavecancershow.com forward slash Toma, that's T-O-M-A, and use the promo code WHC15 to get 15% off your order. There are a couple of exclusions, but overall that discount applies to, I'd say, the easy 90% of what you find on the site. And like I said, you do want to check it out for some wonderful and unique products. The other point for our listeners to know, and please check out Rob's book. Oh, bless your heart. Lessons. But you. anyway, you talk uh, that Parrish, your wife, is a yes. breast cancer survivor. Dude. And you layer that on top of the fact that you also said you are terrible at delivering bad news. Yeah. So when you layer those two things together, knowing that your wife's already been through this, yeah. and now it's your turn, and you suck at delivering bad news, uh, what was going on, you know, at home? Yeah, well, you know, my, with this cancer cloud, I imagine kind of, oh, yeah, whether you want to admit it or not, hanging over, you know, there's got to be that, you know, you now your turn, right? Yeah. And sadly, you know, you know, and your wife is an expert too. It's, it's, um, it is never easy. She was prepared too, because of course, I, I kept her apprised of what was going on. Um, and when the phone rang, I remember we were in the bedroom watching something and she was knitting or I was watching TV and we were waiting for the phone to ring. So I got up and I said, I'm just going to go in the other room. I, I don't, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I didn't think I'd scream, but I just wanted to take, you know, take it in, take a breath. And so I came back and of course she was just staring at the, at the door and I walked in and I said, well, it's cancer. And it was real perfunctory, very boom. And she uh, didn't flip out either. She, uh, of course, was, you know, like your wife. And you you had that, uh, uh, folks don't know this, but Mr. Silverstein uh, briefly recounted how brilliant his his uh, lovely wife is and, and has been through his difficulties. But uh, my wife was, was uh, no different. And, of course, I was with her when she got, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer much younger. So we had our moment. Nobody freaked out. It was more a bit of a, wow, this is, this is 
crazy. And um, I think because also, like I said, I didn't feel badly. I'm working all the time and all of that. No energy issues. Um, And so she said, well, honey, we're going to figure this out. And I said, absolutely. Uh, We uh, were absolutely on the same page. Um, we then went to, I think we had our first meeting, as you know, once you're diagnosed, you have people in your life within 24 hours, many of whom will be there forever. And the right. way that the, the, the forces were marshaled were just, it's, it astonishes me, uh, when you, you make a phone call and boom, okay, here's your, this, here's your, that here's your radiation oncologist. Here's your chemo guy. You're going to be doing it here. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, um, you know, if you'd like to uh, interview several different oncologists, here are a couple we recommend. Otherwise, you know, you're on your, uh, we'd like to be able to sp- have this sussed out in the next 72 hours. And it was remarkable. And to a man and woman, everyone, everyone who was involved in my particular case was kind, professional, patient. I watched how they behave with other people who are far worse off than I. And then when they would get to me, they would show me the same deference. Uh, they were so compa- compassionate. It, it is a remarkable thing um, to behold to some, you know, nondescript person who gets diagnosed. And these professionals are, are just incredible in their uh, dedication. And I've had the same experience. You almost feel like it's a calling. Without question. I think that's, I think that's a better way to put it, Lee, because, you know, a lot of these people, they're not all brain surgeons, you know, they don't make, they don't all make a pile of dough. I think at that point, when you're dealing with people, arguably at some of the worst times in their lives, and to deal with what's going on in your life, then you go to work and you literally hold people's hands, dry their tears. You might be the only person they have in their lives who is able to help them through it. You never know what a person's circumstances and they're doing it for what, you know, is not a particularly great living in Southern California. I, I do believe that. I think it's a calling and people who in that realm just have a deep passion for trying to make it okay. It's, it's a, a an heroic thing to watch and it's a 24 seven gig, I think. Especially those that do it for children. Uh, amen. Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. So I, I knew, you know, that when I was diagnosed 10 years ago, I said, very similar to you. One of the yeah. ways I'm going to feel good is I can make others feel good Amen. and joke around. So I, this is too easy. I, this is a layup, but I got to ask Go when, you walk, when you walked in, did you drop a hello nurse on him? <laughs> I did. I said, hello. well, you know, it was really great. First of all, I do it. Hello nurse. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know what happened, uh, and it's 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 part and parcel of this glorious gig that I've been blessed to uh, to use to buy things like toilet paper and Cheetos. <laughs> I uh, when people find out what I who I am and what I do, it does nothing but make both sides of the circumstance utterly joyful, and certainly that is not limited to people who are not in the cancer business. So. When people found out, I, I, I'm so glad. Here we are, we're circling back to laughter and being air. I, as a result of what I do, and that I got 
cancer and then was dealing with people who were very professional and they, you know, inevitably you're an actor. Oh, they, what do you, well, I do blah, blah, blah. Oh, anything I would know? Boom. <laughs> and what ended up happening was that I was making them laugh. I was entertaining them. I was making them feel good. And all it did for me is make me feel like a million bucks. That's why it's air. So these people who by and large aren't dealing with people who are particularly happy about the circumstance, nor was I, but I had a very unique opportunity to give them a little, you know, lighten their load a little bit. And they knew that when they were going to deal with me, it was not going to be at least an unhappy experience. And inevitably they would, I'd see them next week and Mr. Paulson, I'm so sorry, but I told my, no worries. <laughs> Could you record a voice? Of course. I have pictures. I keep them in my car. Let me go get you a picture. Oh my God. <laughs> and so it, it, it was a, a really wonderful way to break the ice, to become familiar. Um, and moreover, when uh, you probably remember this from the book, but when I was doing my chemo, my friend Maurice Lamarche, my friend the brain, showed up one day, then Beverly Hills there getting my chemo, and um, came upstairs. And of course, the doctors, the nurses, I'd already been doing it for a while and they knew what I did and it was always kind of fun. Uh, but when Mo got there and they knew that Pinky and the brain were in the house, as they say, oh my God, Lee, it was glorious. And Maurice is... Um, uh, profoundly gifted in so many ways, most important of which is just his utter humanity. And when the other patients and the doctors and the nurses and the, uh, the, the staff, you know, all of that, they would all come in and, and they'd want to hear Pinky and the Brain riffing with the patients. And God, it was just great. It was just great. So, um, yeah, I definitely let that bomb drop for sure. <laughs> You know, many people say, you know, I work with great people, oh. but I got the sense from listening to the book that Maurice, Jess, Tess are more to you than just great people. Without question. They're, they're family members. Not, not only are Jess and Tress wacko and dot respectively, <laughs> but as I said, Maurice is the brain. And, um, I have, uh, you know, look, you're talking to a lottery winner, man. And I totally, I totally get it. Uh, I don't draw them. I don't write them. I'm really good at my job, but Jesus, I ought to be. I've been doing it for 40 years out here, but I'm telling you what, there is to be sure something about animated characters that transcends age, uh, language, generations, and, you know, Bugs is 80 now. And <laughs> I worked with Mel Blanc twice. And the first time I did, I sat next to him uh, my friend Gordon Hunt, we were working on a Jetsons project. He said, Robbie, guess who's here today? I said, who? It's Mel Blanc. I said, oh, Jesus. You said, you want to sit next to him? I said, absolutely. So, like everybody, at the time he was probably in his late For 70s, those who don't know who Mel oh, is, sorry, I yes. do let people know who they well, may recognize Blank, a couple of the characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mel uh, was, is, was, he's left, uh, left the, the, the great recording studio on earth for the one in the sky. But 
Mr. Blank was the voice of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Tweety, Sylvester, Elmer Fudd, uh, Mr. Spacely on Jetsons, uh, Mr. Slate on the Flintstones. I mean, uh, Porky, come on. Anyway, we were doing a Jetsons project. And I just said, Mr. Blank, really a pleasure. Thank you, young man. Pleasure to meet you, too. He's probably in his late 70s at the time. And I said, I finally mustered up the courage, Lee. And I said, if it's not too much trouble, would you? And before I got out of my mouth, he knew exactly what I wanted. And he said, yeah, what's up, Doc? And oh, my God, Lee, it was, it really was. It was like a bolt of lightning. And I immediately was, I'm back in Detroit eating Cocoa Krispies, watching <laughs> Looney Tunes with my dad and my siblings and my and a mom. And, and it was certainly what I would suspect magical to be. And I'm sure, you know, he did it a thousand times, a hundred thousand times, but it's the first time I got to hear it and in person. And it was mind blowing. So my point about all of that is that those characters are decades old, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Flintstones. I, the Simpsons is the longest running show scripted show in the history of television. And I, I got to tell you, you are 100% correct. Those people, uh, Jess, Tress, the original Ninja Turtle guys, and uh, you do become a family because you're lucky to work together all the time. But now it's even better because I get to meet my new friends like you, people older than you and I, and young enough to be our grandchildren, love virtually all the characters that I've ever done. And I'm still working every day. And uh, when I'm dust, if, if they ever reboot something that I was the original voice for, the characters will still be popular. Uh, it, it's, it is astonishing. And I'm so grateful to be a little bit older, but working every day so I can see uh, the, the result of all this Really great work. Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain are back on Hulu and they're killing it with Mr. Spielberg again 25 years later. I, I, it's, just, it's like it, it's more popular now than the first go round because the audience is exponentially larger. It's just nuts, Lee. A good segue. Oh, good. You talked in the book about, you know, the possibility. It was kind of simmering out there that there was going to be an Animaniacs reboot yeah. and we're waiting and we're hoping and we're waiting. And one of the things that you were really guilty of, and I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> and I find a lot of people in the cancer community are guilty of oh. it, is letting our mind run away. Right. Yes. And making assumptions and say, Oh my goodness, the scans coming up in three weeks and I'm freaking out. What, what if, if this what happens? If, what if, what if, yeah. Right. And you were doing that. Absolutely. You know, going, staying. Well, I haven't heard anything. It must be because they want somebody younger. They want so. What lessons, you know, did you learn from that in terms of, you know, you kind of said at the end that, you know, it was tough. You know, you were waiting for things to happen before you were physically ready for them to happen in terms of my physical your your throat. Um, But you know, is there a lesson learned there in terms of you know making those assumptions when things aren't happening? Yes, when or Uh, how you expect them to. God, uh, thank you so much. I, I, I'm so grateful that you've read the book and you 
you have asked, these are very excellent questions. Um, and Jermaine, I think to all of us in this uh, unfortunate, well, I shouldn't say that. I, my cancer experience uh, today included has really been a, a, a platinum lining. Um, it wasn't something I wanted, but boy, oh boy, I have been, if I was handed a pile of lemons, people like you are helping me make so much lemonade and I just can't drink it all. But yeah, I, I did what if, what if, and what if myself. I was still a, a newbie in the cancer uh, club. And I really uh, was not particularly goodly at living in the moment. At really, my ethos is pretty much, I, I want what I have. And I take what I'm given with as much grace as possible. And I think I sort of gave lip service to that axiom. But the cancer, and specifically that experience you're talking about in which I would what if myself to death. Um, oh my God, I'm just getting back on my feet. What if I, or wait a minute, if I don't, all of that. And I have finally started to learn as a result of my cancer experience, to right now, today, everything's all right. Everyone's okay. Right now. Even God can't change the past. The future is dictated by the, the choices and the way I behave right now. With my friend Lee, who's given me this glorious opportunity to help and reach out and and touch other people. And what a gift this moment is. And that is not hyperbole. And I know that you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and moreover, it's not just because of our respective cancer circumstances. It is a gift just because we're alive and able to do it. The, the thing that I needed, frankly, was, and I mean this in quotes, but you will understand this, I needed the gift that cancer gave me to be able to say, hey, man, you know what? You're moving along and you had a couple of slow periods in your career, but you think you're back on your horse and Mr. Spielberg wants to do the show again. And God, you know, we make plans and God laughs. Surprise, not foot cancer, not hair cancer, throat cancer. What do you do about that, hotshot? And I'm telling you what, the opportunity to really start to learn what, as our, our old friend Ram Das said, be here now. And it is easier said than done. We know that. We all get wrapped up in the normal stuff. We live in a time in which the phrase, we're all in this together, has never, ever been more truthful for good reasons and bad reasons, politics, COVID, race relations, you know, the, the world economy, all that. But to be able to give yourself the, the daily or even moment to moment uh, deference of saying right now is what's, what's mattering. It helps me to focus on things that are important instead of putting them off that aren't pleasant. And then it also allows me to say, oh, my God. This is great. I'm in my car. I'm driving at the, on the beach. Holy smoke. You got a couple of bucks in the bank. You're going to be working tomorrow morning. 
you're in the in the you know you're a blue collar worker in the dream factory driving your groovy car this is what it's about pal so enjoy this right now and uh, and i i practice that every day and it was absolutely as a result of what you cited why did you write the book um i had been asked uh by a number of really well-meaning fans uh for years before god you know mr paulson you've had a hell of a run you should write a book and while i certainly appreciated the the spirit in which these compliments were offered uh come on lee i you know like i said i'm not a movie star the characters are famous and and i get that and i'm fine with that i'd be lying if i said i don't like it when people make a fuss over me i'm an actor for god's sake so it's incredibly humbling and flattering but as i said i don't draw them, i don't write them but and i thought you know the last thing the world needs is another celebrity bio from a really a non-celebrity um i haven't been to rehab yet i've been married to the same woman for 35 years um you know i love my son and my daughter-in-law i got a brother and two sisters whom i'm crazy about my parents were wonderful they were married for i have a pretty idyllic childhood and life frankly uh, i'm doing what i chose to do and so i thought frankly nobody's it's just not that big a deal it's not juicy it's not tawdry and i don't and i'm not steven spielberg you know like okay so then surprise i got cancer and once i got uh really into it and um i started to i made the choice at the beginning to learn about what was going to go on um and i had a, as you uh, had a, a wonderful group of doctors and caregivers and my friend dr henry ompolsky my uh, radiation oncologist the russian guy and i think this is in the book the first time he met me um you know uh, uh, the doctors and the the caregivers suss patients out they inter- you know have a little interview and you know lee is great he's extroverted he's a great guy he's got a real solid grasp on this his wife is very supportive rob on the other hand is pretty freaked out i you know we got to be you know be careful when you talk he's very emotional all of that so they they really try to individualize their care when dr yampolski says mr polson it's pleasure to meet you i have to tell you i feel certain we can cure you but before we do we almost have to kill you <laughs> and i started laughing Because it sounded like Goldfinger talking to me, you know. <laughs> no, Mister Bond. Did, did he have a kitty cat in his lap? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You expect me to talk? No, Mister Bond. I expect you to die. Anyway, I said, "My God, Henry, we are gonna gonna get along great." So I said, "I want to know what this is about." I, I, you know, to the extent you can let me in. Sure, this is what your throat looks like, and this is your face and your jaw, and you know, so it's, it's like a video game. So I was very involved in my treatment in terms of learning. And as I got really into it, I thought, man, you know, if if I get through this and I'm able to go back to work, this might be a book specifically because of what you are kind enough to allow me to do. I'm not uh, my co-writer Mike Fleeman did all the heavy lifting. I'm a good actor, good singer, but I'm not a writer. and he took my story and made it readable and i think pretty listenable 
he he obviously knew what I did, and he incorporated characters in which you know I tell Pinky that I've got cancer, and it's a really interesting way to start the book. I think it's an effective plot device, if that's the right term. Uh, term, but the opportunity that you're giving me, and that you you give to all your guests, is the opportunity to share our mutual ex- experiences, just to try to help, which I believe is what we're all ultimately here to do. We're all, you know, we, nobody gets out of here without a couple of dings, man. And we're all here to try to make it a little easier because it's tough. And the book is this wonderful opportunity to do just that. We never know when someone is going to be listening to um, We Have Cancer Show. And it might, who knows when it'll be? It might be a year from now. It might be two years from now. It might be in a different format when we're both dust. But some young man or woman or a husband or wife will say, hey, you got to hear this. This is this guy on, on uh, Lee's show, Ron Pullman. I don't even know the guy's name. But this guy was like this Hollywood cartoon guy and was like really doing a hell of a lot of work. And he, he was diagnosed with the same type of cancer you have, Uncle John. And check this out. After his cancer, Steven Spielberg hired him again. And nobody was any the wiser. No one could tell that that guy had gone through chemo and radiation and had the Christ beat out of him. But he's fine. He lived to be 96. You're going to be okay, Uncle John. And that's why this, why the book is important. Um, I, I cannot get enough of these opportunities. Um, I know how much it helped me to uh, see how other people dealt with it or speak to um, a, a gentleman who was very helpful in getting me prepared for the, for the um, as Dr. Yampolsky said, almost had to kill you. And having that experience from another gentleman, knowing I could call him and say, is this normal? And say, yep, kind of sucks, but you're going to be okay, was huge. And because uh, my wife, it's different for everybody. You know, she would hold my hand and be crying and strong and at the same time and all that. But there wasn't a damn thing she could do except what she was doing. And uh, to be able to to know categorically that there's a, a concrete example. Hey, Uncle John, let me turn this on. This is Ron Pullman after throat cancer. Check that guy out. Listen to his voice. Isn't that something? And that's why this is, that's why the book and these opportunities are important, I think. Well, I can tell you right now with no, uh, you know, thought that a buddy of mine who actually met through the colon cancer community, Michael Sola, and I'm going to make sure Michael listens to that, is in, Great. Is in the midst of his throat cancer. Bless battle. his heart. And, uh, and I know I'm going to make sure that he gets, uh, gets a hold of this, uh, when, when it comes out, uh, we've got a few ahead of you, so it's going to be a little bit of time before this uh, hits the airwaves, but, uh, he's going through exactly, you know, what yeah. you've dealt with. Listen, uh, any friend of Lee's, uh, and I'm, I'm dead <laughs> serious. I, you know, we can talk about this after the show, but honestly, when we're done, uh, you, uh, uh please let your friend know that I'm happy to speak with him. If he would like to chat, 
-hmm. anytime. I've done it for a number of others. And as I said, any friend of Lee's. So um, uh, truthfully, I know we've got more to talk about, but don't let me leave without um, making sure you got on my information. You got it. Okay. So thank you. So obviously the title, Voice Lessons, there's a few meanings there, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, What's been your biggest lesson? Um, I, well, it's if my biggest lesson, I think I even say it in the book and I say, I think because I haven't read my own book in a while. Um, I, uh, how, how arrogant does that sound? I haven't read my own book in a while. It's like saying pretentious <laughs> moi, um, <laughs> you know, so I, well, a couple actually, and I hopefully will continue to learn them until I punch my ticket. Cause, uh, the one thing I'm, uh, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know, and uh, it's a lot. But in terms of the lessons, uh, the voice lessons, if you will, I really, I, I, like you and like any of us who are lucky enough to, to find success, and I, I realize that means different things to different people, financial, uh, um, um, you know, personal satisfaction, fame, whatever that is. I am always trying to get better. I always want to leave a producer with an embarrassment of riches. I I want them to say, everything's great. We just don't know which one to use. And I think all of us want to do that. Um, However, there was a point in my treatment when I was just starting to go back to work and I had to give myself a break. I had to say, you know what, Rob? The first 60 years of your life, this probably wouldn't been good wouldn't have been good enough, but today it's as good as it's going to get, and that's just fine. You're going to have to be okay with being enough, and I am now. Uh, I certainly have the same standards I used to, or I wouldn't get hired by a guy like Steven Spielberg. These everybody wants, you know, wants me to be okay. But this is a business. If I wasn't able to cut the mustard, they wouldn't say, well, well, let's just use Rob and pay him a lot of money because he's a nice guy. They would say, I'm so sorry. Maybe we just won't do the show or I hope you feel better, Rob. You know, all of that. And that's, I totally get that. That's the way it goes. Um, but now I, I've morphed a little bit. I don't have certain notes on the top of my register anymore. I just don't have them. And I probably never will, but I have enough and I have my skill and I'm able to work because I'm luckily working on a show like Animaniacs with proprietary music. And so I can talk to the composers and say this little pass, uh, these few bars right here, I can talk, sing these top notes. If you don't mind, let's try that. Let's see if that works. And sometimes they'll say, great. Sometimes I'll say, nah, we'd rather have it sung. I said, okay, well, let's change this a little bit. We don't have to even change the key. Let's just move these around a little bit. And they work great. So beforehand or before the cancer, I would have said, God, I really, come on, Rob, what the hell's the matter with you? And I would be very hard on myself and I'm not, we all do that. But now I know that there are certain days when it's okay to be enough And it's not like you just have to say, well, go home and have a drink and just deal with it. No, 
I'm going to leave and say, I, I was enough today and that's fine. And I'm in this moment saying, that was great. That's as good as it's going to get. And I'm not even going to say, geez, I wish I had as soon as I leave the room, not going to happen. And that is a very important voice lesson. Uh, the other one in terms of, of a lesson, it was just a, a confirmation of what I think I already knew, which is how profoundly important laughter and joy is. It, pretty much in the context of the human experience, if I can get a little existential, but certainly, certainly in times of crisis, even gallows humor, even the times that I'd be on hold with my oncologist and say, you know, I think I, it looks to me like I got about 14 minutes left before I die of throat cancer. Could you please not, you know, be on hold, uh, put me on hold so long? And if that's what I need to get through it, that's what I need. And I, I, I it was just a, a confirmation that of, of how deeply important laughter is in this whole context. And, um, and it's free. How about that? You don't even have, you can go to a club and pay for it. But in the time of COVID, you don't have to pay for nothing, man. You can just laugh because it's Tuesday. And I love that. Was the lesson around being okay with enough a lesson that took some time for you to learn? It did. Thank you. In fact, um, boy, you're really good. You're teeing it up like crazy. Um, I, a perfect example was, uh, I did a series, um, pretty popular, I think. Uh, I, I was not really aware of it until I got the job, um, uh, called Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales in the House. It was a, for little kids. I think it's on Netflix. And um, did, a, I don't know, 100 episodes, maybe so, quite a few over a two-year period. And there was music. We were finishing up. I think we had maybe three or four episodes left. And there was some music that I was working on when I was diagnosed. I only, my wife and I only let a handful of people know it wasn't about being on Facebook. I, this is a, I, I don't, for me, I didn't want, crave, or need sympathy from anyone. I needed to put my head down and get it done like, like anyone else. And that is not to say that if you want that, look, whatever you got to do to get through it is important. But as much as I appreciate social media I, I just did, that wasn't my thing. So I told my close friends, Tress, Jess, Maurice, um, you know, my agent, of course, and, uh, um, my, oh, the, and the producers for whom I was working. I'm not sure when I'll be back. Uh, I'm going to work as long as I can, but there will come a point where my voice is worn out and I'm worn out. And then, as you know, the cumulative effects of the radiation really beat the daylights out of you after the treatment is done. It's you're not done when the treatment's done. And, um, and I said, also, because it's the kind of cancer it is, I got to be straight with you, man. I don't know if I'll be able to do this. And the doctors said the same thing. They said, we'll be able to, you'll be able to speak. Can you sing and manipulate your voice? Probably, but you know, our job is to save your life. And I totally get that. So I said, it, if when I'm done, I just want to take the onus off your shoulders to let you know that I'm fine with you listening to me and saying, 
Mm. Sorry, Robbie. It's just, we love you. I get it. I get it. I get it. Everybody's got their problems. I do not expect you to hold on to this job for me just because it's mine. You didn't cause the cancer. It happens. Okay. So I went back to work after my cancer, probably a little early, but it was really important for me to get back in the saddle and have something resembling control. So I went back to work and sang a song on VeggieTales. And it was just in the beginning of me trying to deal with, it's got to be enough. So it's perfect for your question. I really was upset with myself. Uh, no, no, give me one more shot at it. I think we got it right. No, 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 no. Just, just please, if you don't mind, if you, do you have the time? Oh, we got plenty of time, but they were being deferential to me. I mean, I'd lost 50 pounds. I looked awful uh, and I didn't have it to lose. I was 178 when I started, 128 when I was done with my treatment. And so these are people who've known me a long time. Robbie, honest to God, I think we got it. We wouldn't lie to you. No, no, I know, but just let me go. And it was exhausting. I had no reserve. I shouldn't have been there anyway. I was really tired, but I was getting frustrated and angry at me. And I started to learn that I got I, I to gotta give myself a break. Cut to about, I don't know, three, four months later, that piece of animation came back. And it turns out we did have to fix two or three notes at the end. But otherwise, it was great. It was great. And it wasn't even me saying, well, not bad. It was, I hit every note right in the middle of it. Uh, the, uh, the animation worked beautifully with it. It was charming. And there was one um, little, I think two bars at the end that I needed to tweak a bit and nobody was any the wiser. So I did learn that there are days when it's just okay to be enough. And you might as well enjoy it um, because there's going to be a time when you ain't going to be able to do any of it, not any, let alone enough. And so, um, yeah, it was a tough lesson for me to learn. To hear more of Rob's voice lessons, <laughs> and I do recommend the audio book so you get the true pleasure. And Rob has already agreed to to share with the audience, uh, to give the audience listening to the, uh, to this oh, episode, the opportunity to have a, have some laughter with him, but, uh, do check out, I recommend the audio version. Uh, Thank you know, what better way to get the book than to hear the guys tell his own story and, uh, bring in a few of his friends to help. tell. Yeah. Every now and then, every now and then those knuckleheads show up. <laughs> so Rob, um, I feel like I've made a friend. And, well, without you question, know, I beat you to the punch. I think I called you my <laughs> new friend Lee about twenty minutes ago. So you did. You here, did. my friend. I'm looking forward to the time when I can uh, shake your um, Tampa Bay Lightning loving hand, irrespective of the fact that I'm a Redskins fan. Well, I do have dear friends in Santa Monica, so it's uh, possible. I hope so. You know, maybe we can meet over a glass of wine at some It'd point. It'd be my pleasure. But uh, I appreciate the generosity of your time your inspiration, your messages for our audience. And I'm going to let you close it out in whatever okay. way you would like to. And then, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of a better way. So Rob and whoever you brought along with you, if you want to wrap up the show, the microphone's yours. 
Absolutely. Well, I could do Pinky. I mean, Pinky's here, but he's he's a fairly good singer. But the song that everyone wants to hear with respect to any maniacs is a song from another character, a fellow character on that show called Yakko. Yakko Warner is one of the Warner siblings, as you hopefully know. And um, Yakko's most famous song is a song in which he enumerates every country of the world. But that was in 1993. And as you know, the world has changed a little bit. So now there are a bunch of new countries that have sprung up. So to remind you, the original song starts out, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, El Salvador too. Okay. So here are the new countries that have sprung up since that song was written. Here we go. Montenegro and Bosnia, Herzegovina, the Soviet Union is gone. South Africa, Georgia, Moldova, Latvia, Belarus, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, hey, Kazakhstan, hey, then there's Tajikistan too, hey, hey, Turkmenistan, hey, Kurdistan, Armenia, Tonga, Palu, Lithuania, Serbia, Kosovo, U.S., Samoa, the Balkans, Brunei, Macau and Crimea, then Eritrea, Ukraine and Estonia, here's Macedonia, New Caledonia, Eastern Slavonia, Ivory Coast and Cape Verde, Andorra, the Solomon Islands, Dubai. Goodbye. I need to hit my my applause track button <laughs> for that one. <laughs> that was spectacular, Rob. Truly oh, appreciate you, it. Lee, you are an absolute delight, my friend. The feeling's mutual. Thank Thanks you. again, Rob. All the best to you. Be well. The Colon Cancer Coalition has all kinds of wonderful events taking place in the coming months. Various ways that you can get out and move, whether it's get your rear in gear with a run-walk event or a golf event through the Caboose Cup, uh, Tour de Tush bike rides, lots of ways you can support the amazing work that the Colon Cancer Coalition does to raise awareness and fund local organizations that are making a difference in the world of colorectal cancer. You can check out all of their events by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC for Colon Cancer Coalition. And you can find an event in your neighborhood. Many are taking place in person, but they virtually all of them have virtual components as well, if that's your preference. So once again, support the Colon Cancer Coalition by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.